Well, what do you think? I mean, I mean, it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? I mean, if it stinks, it stinks. It smells bad for everybody. Smell bad for you? Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to do? Make excuses for him? And let me ask the obvious question. Last week you said, obviously, Henry's still the starter. Is he still the starter? Yeah, what? Yeah, yes. <laughs> As I said, we have two really good quarterbacks. We had a chance to win. We didn't get it done. We'll go back to work tomorrow, uh, and we'll go to fixing it, and that's what we're, we're going to do. A um, lot of football season left, whole heck of a lot of football season left. And I tell you what, I saw a bunch of fighters in that locker room, a bunch of friggin' fighters on the sideline, and uh, that's a football team that's going to continue to improve and get better. They're going to fight to improve and get better. I don't know how many games we're going to win, but I know we're going to fight. Quarterbacks are like dogs. I mean, if you throw them a treat, then they respond. You know, they'll – they get smiles on their face, their tails wag, and you know, and then uh, you know, and then pretty soon they'll they'll be a little more affectionate towards you as far as throwing the ball your direction. You see, and we played some pretty good teams and beat some pretty good teams. You know, so we're we're headed that direction. We got a long way to go, but tonight sure was nice. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bread. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm flying solo, but I got a terrific guest lined up. Reached out to my old buddy Chris Marler from Saturday Down South. Had a good old time with Marler, talking uh, some of the big games here in the SEC, particularly Alabama Ole Miss. He's a big Crimson Tide homer, but he's feeling uneasy about this one, so we'll get to that here in a little bit, but uh, you know, as has been the case all week, Want to start the show, remind the listeners, on Friday, moving to a new podcast platform. And the only reason I keep bringing that up, I don't want anyone to not be getting the show in their feed. I don't want to leave a single one of you behind. So if you don't get a new show on Friday, reach out to us. You know, this should not be a problem at all. They're telling us it won't be. But uh, if it is, you may have to resubscribe to the podcast. Just wherever you get it, unsubscribe, and then quickly resubscribe take you five seconds and all that will do is refresh your feed so hopefully again this is not an issue this is supposed to come down on friday and they're even delaying it uh they're waiting till the picks podcast to come out just so uh, everybody gets it this week but just wanted to make that quick announcement and of course got to mention the sponsors prize picks head on over to prizepicks.com using that promo code se See, get in on the daily fantasy action out there over at prizepicks.com. They are the only ones that I'm aware of that uh, does college football daily fantasy as well as NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, all the professional sports. But we love it because they have all these SEC players to select from week in and week out. So on the Friday Pick Show, again, we'll break down our prize picks selections. But hey, we have got some SEC football to hit on. So let's kick it around the league before we get to our interview with Chris Marler. Now let's go around the league. You know, this is not a democracy. Everybody doesn't get what to do what they want to do. Everybody don't get to do what they feel like doing. Um, you got to buy in and do what you're supposed to do to, um, you know, be a part of the team and do the things you need to do in practice every day. Uh, sense of urgency, play fast, execute, do your job. You know, guys on the sideline sitting there pouting. 
Um, you know, I, I can't stand that either. You know, sit there and pout on a sideline. Um, I, you know, because that's the ultimate and selfish. You know, well, the last play didn't go my way, so I feel so bad. Well, yeah, I mean, nobody thinks, well, you're a tough person when you do that. Nobody thinks that. What they do is they point at you and laugh, and then they nudge their buddy and, hey, they see that guy for this team over there on the sideline, and 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 they, they you know they'll use words like wimp, although they'll use other ones too that I think are even better words with regard to uh, describing what I'm witnessing at times. We see you as a tough, hard-nosed, boring football coach. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Who says that? I think Arkansas was an underdog in every game last year, and I know you guys don't worry about it. I know we were, yes. All right, so I wanted to start with uh, Lane Kiffin. Oh, the man himself, the Lane train, has been in the news, and this is not even his fault this time. We all know he's good for a quote, but he's out there now having to deal with Michael Wilbon for for some damn reason. So the personal attacks are flying on – Pardon the interruption. I didn't even know that was still a show. I remember watching it for years and years, but apparently they're still going at it. They're still talking smack, and that's a sh- that's a show shaded. I grew up watching, so definitely an inspiration to us. But there's a good reason we don't watch it anymore because they don't know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to college football. Uh, let's kick it over to Michael Wilbon, who throws Lane Kiffin under the bus for some damn reason. Could be because of Lane Kiffin. The answer's Alabama yeah. because of Lane Kiffin. There's nothing to be proud of if you're a college footballer or any other sport but Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's a clown. Lane Kiffin has been an embarrassment at multiple stops. I mean, nobody's going to run out there and say, yeah, I want Lane Kiffin right here on the logo representing me. The answer's Alabama, Tony. Lane Kiffin's a cute little story for guys like us who have to talk about sports every day, and we can come in Monday and say, ha, 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 Lane Kiffin. Once again... Lane Kiffin equals embarrassment at some point wherever he is. Alabama. He hasn't been. All right, and then Lane Kiffin has been uh, tweeting up a storm about this, firing shots, pretty much not firing shots, but just responding with, uh, you know, (laughs) wishing kindness towards Michael Wilbon. And then he was on the Paul Feinbaum show here on Wednesday and had a terrific response. He got Feinbaumed. I just thought it was unusual. Um. You know, normally those type of things are said about you by, you know, some fan, you know, in some chat room, not a, you know, a professional media member. So uh, I thought it was a little bit different and had some fun with it, and especially when it's coming from someone that's never met you and doesn't know you at all. So whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. And for those who don't know, and uh, Michael Wilbon uh, on PTI uh, yesterday, you know, went, went after you. And, and I have to say it was, it was surprising. Um, it, it seemed, you know, if, if somebody had said that about you eight or nine years ago, maybe there, there would be some justification. Maybe there wouldn't be. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm kind of awkward in saying that since I said some of those things eight or nine years ago. But I did see it yesterday. And I said, God, that guy fine bombed me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you don't get the reference there, maybe you don't. But uh, when Kiffin was the head coach there at USC, uh, Paul Feinbaum kind of went in on him, kind of similar to Mike Wilbon during college game day. And apparently the AD at uh, Southern Cal at the time heard that. And alleged, allegedly, as the story goes, that played a part in the AD saying, you know, well, enough of the Lane Kiffin era. He's in a national embarrassment. We got Paul Feinbaum here 
shouting down Lane Kiffin. So it all comes full circle. And I just thought that was terrific. And that was actually not the only response Lane Kiffin had during the uh, Wednesday SEC coaches teleconference. He fired, this time he really did fire some shots at Wilbot. I thought this was great. And he was also asked about that infamous text thread with Kirby. Used to have Will Muschamp and Jeremy Pruitt. But apparently those two no longer allowed in the text thread. Hey, Lane, um, I saw your uh, your Twitter response to, to Michael Wilbon. Um, I was wondering, um, how do you feel when um, you see someone call you a, a clown and embarrassment, and, and do you feel like that's uh, uh, in any way fair criticism? Well, I think everybody, you know, has a right to whatever. Um, you know, you can't control what people do, and, you know, I worry more when the person's actually met you and knows you and then says those things versus someone that has never met you and doesn't know you at all. Um, you know, uh, to say those things, uh, it's pretty pretty over the top compared to what um, most professional media um, say, but, you know, uh, you got attention, so maybe that's the name of the game. Um, I guess as a follow-up to that, I mean, you're a football coach. Um, in some ways, it's also an entertainment business. Do you feel like that's just kind of all fair game in, in the entertainment business or, or is something like that kind of a, a, a low blow uh, even in this business, do you think? I think everyone's entitled to say what they want. Like I said, you know, usually, um, you know, professional media – um, usually don't go that far, again, especially when you've never met them and they don't know you at all. Um, so, but it is what it is. I mean, it's not like the guy at Earth Shattering News with his, you know, that Alabama's, you know, going to beat us. I mean, he should go to Vegas with that Earth Shattering prediction. And I remember you said a few years ago, or maybe last year, that you guys were on tech, like you, your former assistants had a text thread going. Do you guys still do that? Well, Jeremy and Will um, aren't head coaches anymore, so uh, our threads died down a little bit. But but you guys still have it when maybe you and Jimbo and Kirby or uh, Jimbo didn't make our cut. He was a long time ago, so it was more the people that um, were at Alabama. All right, so how great was that? <laughs> so. <laughs> Hey, credit Lane Kiffin. And you know what he's really doing here, which I think is genius? He's trying to deflect off this huge topic with the Alabama game. Of course, he's still getting asked about it left and right, but the bigger story right now in the middle of the week is all this uh, Michael Wilbon calling him out. And I think that is perfect for Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral. You know, we're not hearing those guys getting bombarded with, you know, the, the streak against Alabama, Nick Saban. Nick Saban undefeated over his uh, previous assistance was 23-0, 26-0, some ungodly statistic like that. And who knows, by the end of this thing, maybe it'll be 1,000-0. But uh, we'll find out on Saturday. Lane Kiffin, he may have the best shot yet to break that streak, uh, certainly in his time there at Ole Miss. So that remains to be seen. But that ain't the only marquee game. We've got this weekend. There's so much hype around this Arkansas-Georgia game. But one thing that uh, I think is not being discussed enough, and I really just wanted to you know, give praise to these two head coaches, Sam Pittman, Kirby Smart. It's been somewhat of a love fest this week 
leading up to this game. Uh, and after they faced each other last season, there was a lot of praise both ways. So these are some recent comments from Sam Pittman on Kirby Smart. And Kirby Smart kind of re returned the favor on uh, talking up Sam Pittman. I just thought uh, these comments were pretty good. Hey, Sam, I caught a podcast with you from this summer where you were talking to a guy who covers Georgia and you said that you had, hadn't really talked to Kirby much before an on the field Alabama, Arkansas game. Uh, after the game, it was 14 or 15. Do you recall? Oh, when did I talk to Kirby? Yeah. Was it the 14 game here? 14, 14 here. Yeah. 14 here. And he just came over and said that when he gets a job, he's going to make it hard for me not to go with him. And, I told him you better go back and look at the tape before you get to saying all that stuff. And he <laughs> laughed. And I, you know, I'm not one of them, you know, calling guys and writing them notes. And I, I, that ain't my style. So I just waited and we went over there and played him. He said some nice things then. And then whenever he got the job, he had his agent reach out to me. You know, uh, you've talked about the Herschel Walker era at Georgia. Like, like, it, was it just because he was a badass, or you like the way yes. he ran the ball? He sure was, man. And I mean, it was you know, at nineteen eighty, I'm, you know, I'm in high school. You know, I'm graduating in eighty, and uh, yeah, yes, I mean, he's the biggest, fastest guy I'd ever seen, and they were rolling, you know. So, yeah, that's where it started. Kirby, uh, what? Is there one thing that you would uh, credit Coach Pittman with as far as what you learned the most from him when he was on your staff? Yeah, it's probably uh, morale and positivity. You know, Sam's a really, really uh, optimistic, positive guy, especially with his, his players and his relationship with them. Uh, he was always good for me uh, to be around um, leading up to games, you know, or you're worried about something. Sam always had a uh, a great spin and a great vibe on it. And um, he was great for our staff, you know, staff morale. And he's, he's just a, a phenomenal person. And I'd always heard so many good things about him uh, as a coach at Alabama. And you know, we tried to hire him a couple of times and could never get him. And then when I got the job, he was the number one guy that I targeted. And I uh, was so thankful that he came with us. All right. So I had no idea old uh, Sam Pittman was such a big Herschel Walker fan too. So I thought that was pretty neat, but you know, the main reason I wanted to play these clips because it got me thinking, yeah, it's all positive. Uh, you know, it's all great. No bad blood between these two heading into Saturday's action. But you know, one thing that I had not thought about until I was playing these clips, this clearly the biggest game of the Sam Pittman era in hell. The Texas game was the biggest game at the time. A&M was the biggest game at the time. So no stranger to Arkansas and these big games. Now they just keep getting bigger as long as you keep winning. But, you know, let's flip it to the other side. I don't think there's a lot of pressure on Kirby Smart necessarily this week. I, certainly I think there is this season to capitalize on such a good team and now they finally have the offense coming together. But it had me thinking, what if – in year two of his program, Sam Pittman goes into Athens and beats Kirby Smart's Georgia program. Just imagine the storylines 
former offensive line coach for Georgia, comes into Athens and beats Kirby Smart, who's had such a head start on him and has got arguably the best roster in the country. And that just got me thinking of, you know, the pressure that may be on Kirby to win this game and not only win it, but, uh, you know, look good doing it because, you know, what's that going to say of his program if his former offensive line coach is coming in there and beating him and he's only in his second year and he doesn't even have a full roster of players that he recruited? Well, that was something that was pitched all offseason. And Athens Kirby's finally got his, you know, an entire roster basically outside of a couple of transfers, of course, that are guys that he exclusively recruited coming out of high school or JUCO or wherever you're getting them. But that's just something to think about. And I don't know if that necessarily places any extra pressure on Kirby now, but it certainly will come Sunday. Uh, There's going to be many, many, many people talking about that if the Razorbacks find a way to go in there and get the win. And we hit on it previously. Trey Williams, if Arkansas is to get that W, it's going to come by uh, this defense, I think, causing havoc for Georgia's offense, which, you know, Clemson kind of did a similar thing and really negated them. There was not an offensive touchdown in that game. I certainly think Georgia's gotten better since that season opener, as you'd anticipate, but that's something to monitor, and that is something Sam Pittman also hit on, the fact that uh, he knew what he was getting in Trey Williams. Uh, So let's play this clip, and again, I'll just go back-to-back with Kirby here because it was all rosy and we're all getting good news. Darnell Washington, Tyke Smith back in action. Now it sounds like, you know, that may not necessarily be the case. So let's kick it over to Sam Pittman and Kirby Smart. Trey Williams, you guys obviously thought it'd be good or else you wouldn't have recruited him. But um, has he surprised you at all? And in retrospect, how big a get, how big a get was he? No, you know, I've been a Trey Williams fan for a long time. And, you know, especially when you go in the portal, I feel like we hit, you know, in the portal. Um, but when you see guys play you and they're giving you trouble, and again, I had a couple first round, fortunate enough, had a couple first round tackles there at Georgia. Trey was, you know, he was hard to block with those guys. Um, I knew that uh, if we could get him, that he could solve uh, some of the pass rushing issues that we had, along with, you know, getting our guys better here. Um, but no, he really hasn't surprised me, Bob. I, I've, I've, I expected that he would play like he has. Coach, earlier this week, you talked about the, the challenges that all the blitzes that, that Coach Lanning has presents. Having gone against him and been in like staff meetings, does that give you any type of advantage or is it kind of negated by the fact that he's also familiar with you? Well, that's the problem. You know, he knows I know and he's going to give me a different look than what? what he's given somebody else. And then, you know, instead of coming from one side, it's going to be the other side. And uh, so, yeah, he knows. I mean, he knows Coach Kenny was there. I was there. I mean, he knows we know what Georgia does. And and I just – he might just say, this is what we do and try to block us, you know. The other thing he might – so that's the beauty of college coaching or any coaching is trying to outwit the other guy and just make sure you don't – screw your own team up, you know, uh, by getting too, uh, uh, giving each other too much credit? Uh, both up and down. Uh, they both practiced uh, both days. Um, I thought Taiki, uh looked uh, better on Monday. He was quick moving around and 
Uh, we got them on pitch count. You know, they're only able to take limited reps uh, from a standpoint of uh, their foot gets sore as the volume goes up. Um, Darnell uh, struggled a little bit yesterday, but then he looked good today. I thought he did a good job today. And, um, you know, both of them, are, they've got a ways to go. I don't know if they'll be able to play in the game or not, but they're, they're working towards it. I can promise you that. It's not just being cleared. You know, it's everything else involved in it. It's from being behind, stamina, um, execution, getting them reps, and it's tough, I'll be honest with you. But I'm still very hopeful that they both can help us. Hey, what kind of uh, problems does a big physical receiver like Traylon Burks uh, give to y'all's defense? Well, he's, he's a matchup, tough matchup. I mean, first of all, they put him everywhere. He's in the backfield. He's a quarterback. He's a uh, receiver. He's a slot. He's a tight end. I mean, he does everything. They find ways to get him the ball, uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's fast. He's faster than you think he is. He gets out there on the edge and can go um, really tough. So, you know, obviously when it comes to 50-50 ball, size matters. And he's got great length and really good ball skills. So, I mean, he, he was a problem for us last year. Um, he's been a problem for the SEC for a while. And uh, he's a really good football player. All right. So those, those comments in particular from Kirby really stand out to me because, you know, just because a guy's back, and this goes for a lot of these players on Georgia's roster. I mean, they've been slowly working these guys back in. And based on these comments, it doesn't sound to me like Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington – now, they may be officially back. They're practicing, of course, but are they game ready? Are they in shape? Are they, you know, how many snaps can Georgia realistically get out of these guys? Uh, so I, I don't know. That's just something something to monitor because it certainly sounded like on Monday they were good to go. Now, I don't want to say setbacks, but certainly seems like after a couple of days of practice, we're kind of changing our tune on how effective those guys could be this weekend against Arkansas. So, hey, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, I, I'm – as the week is going on, I'm liking Arkansas more and more in this matchup. Next, let's kick it old Dave to College Station. Gigamagus. And I've been trying to avoid Texas A&M, but it's kind of like Cousin Shay said on the last show, after a loss, man, things are raw. Takes a, about half a week to get over the last game. But the season ain't over for them Aggies, certainly. Uh, they obviously need to get things going on that offensive side of the ball. Mississippi State and their defense will be a true test, even though Mississippi State in their secondary has been kind of, uh, I don't want to say suspect because they've been playing some good football, but there have been a number of busts this season. Didn't see that so much last season from Mississippi State, Zach Arnett's defense. But that may be something that Texas A&M can take advantage of this week, trying to get Zach Calzada some more confidence. And I know A&M fans, they thought, you know, we're going to win the West. We're going to win the national championship. That was the expectations. That's still in front of you. As down as you may be here, if you find a way to get a win here on Saturday at home against Mississippi State, you have the opportunity to still upend Alabama. And if you do that, you're ahead of them in the SEC West standings, of course. So, hey, there's a lot. Still to be played for. It's not going to come, obviously, though, unless uh, Jimbo Fisher and, and can get Zach Calzada playing better football than he played against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Maybe, you know, of course, there's tape on Calzada now, uh, and I would imagine Mississippi State is going to try to do a lot of the same things that Arkansas did to limit Zach Calzada. That's going to be one of the biggest topics, I think, this week in College Station, getting Zach Calzada some confidence, getting this offense going. And uh, that is something that Jimbo Fisher hit on here on improving and getting his team up ready for uh, maybe the preparations, not where it's needed to be 
uh, leading up to uh, the Arkansas game and because that's been something that's been expressed by his players. So uh, that has got to change and change in a hurry, and we'll find out come Saturday if that has changed in College Station. And, Zach, as he continue, continues to progress, do you feel like maybe he held it a little bit too long? And also, would you like to see him maybe run a little bit more in certain well, situations? At times, you got to do that and feel that. And then I think we got to play better around him. Everybody, I mean, we go back on Zach. Zach's a new guy. we got experienced receivers, backs, tight ends, and all that. We have to play well around him. And now we had some young linemen, too, so that's the other thing. And do I everything on the quarterback, he had, he's, like I say, he's the eraser. We're used to having – when you have those experienced guys who clean up everybody's messes, and Zach can do that. He did it some, but he's got to do it more, and it's tough. And uh, he's got to grow. Could he have ran more? Possibly could have. Could he have held on to it? Yes. He's got to make good, clean looks. And like the one that we got the sack on, the unfortunate thing, that was the one time we got a low snap was on his ankles. When your head goes down, put it this way, drive a car, be in downtown Houston. you got two and a half seconds to make a decision and throw the ball out. Stick your head below the dashboard. Count 1,001, then raise up, and, and you're driving 50 miles an hour. See how, much, see how many good decisions you make. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And, and I said, it goes, that's what I say. It goes back to we got a nice play and a snap. The one time we get a low snap, and that takes your eyes down, you come back up, and sometimes inexperienced guys, things change. It moves it all around. That's one of the negatives of a shotgun if the snap's not right. But we only had two of those all day, but two can cost you. One was on a high one, one was on a low one. And, uh, and that cost us in that, in that same scenario after the penalty. That's what happened on first down after the, we had the eight-yard you know, the penalty on that. And that's why I say the timeliness of winning to make plays is what we got to learn. we got to learn that every play matters. There can't be a time in those crucial times. That's when you got to be your coolest. That's when you got to be your highest execution, and we got to be able to handle it. And we didn't do that. And, that's, listen, that's, that's coaching too. we got to coach them better. we got to make sure in practice that they can handle those moments, do those moments, not blame it on those kids at all. That's, at the end of the day, we're coaches. We're responsible. You're responsible for your kids. I'm responsible for our players. I mean, you have to do that. We have to build that confidence in them in practice. We have to build that confidence in them on Saturdays and do the, the fundamentals to make sure we can handle those situations all the way. frustrated at this point on offense by the lack of, you know, success. Mm -hmm. How you let that not spill over? And are you calling things early in games for Zach to get comfortable? Because it just seems yeah. to us he's uncomfortable. Well, I'm calling a lot of things comfortable. I mean, the things we practice each and every day, things we rep every day. I mean, it takes time. It gives experience. And no, I'm not frustrated. Disappointed that we can play better, but I'm not frustrated. You can't get fr frustration can't set in. Frustration clouds your thinking. You'd be disappointed about what you do, but you got to keep your head about you and how you coach and what you do and, and make sure when we know we can do the things we do, it's got to do them better. In the last couple of weeks, uh, Isaiah Spiller has mentioned having a little bit of a lack of attention to detail, and he mentioned practice. Do you feel like the, the team has been prepared, the standard has been set high enough in practice leading in the last oh, two days? Listen, we're preparing, but the standard of how to do details, I mean, we're not, we're not detailed enough or we would play that way. I mean, now, why is that detail? Some of that's experience. Some of that is youth. Some of that is critical new guys at critical different positions and different, different moments of, of what happens because you're rotating guys and you're playing you know, freshman linemen, you're playing some young receivers, you're playing a young new quarterback. I mean, now, is that excuse? No, you still have to meet the standard of what you got to do because that's when your opportunities call. It's what I tell those guys all the time. You either wait to play or you prepare to play. But the one thing you can't give a guy is experience. Experience, he has to get it in the saddle, and they got to realize that. Now, I, at the same time saying that, I was proud of them the way they battled back and got better during the game, in my opinion. But then we got to that critical moment, we just couldn't get over it. And that goes on both sides. That's offense and defense. I mean, that's both sides. Now, we have we're more experienced on defense and, and where we're at there. But, you know, we gave up things. We can't get behind 17 to nothing right off the bat in the first three uh, 
series of the game. And then you talk about wanting to run the ball then. you got to be careful getting too conservative then. And all of a sudden that game gets out of hand. It could have because we, if we didn't get a fourth down stop, it could have been 24 and what we did. So we got to learn to get out of the blocks in, all th- in both phases and play better and, and execute better. And, is and, that- and, practice, and more importantly, practice better. I mean, and there's all, you can always practice. You can always play better. You can always practice better. And that standard is getting better. Last week I thought was one of our, the best ones we had, but it's still – you see, we're not to that. We have to push that level with these young guys and make sure we can execute at critical time. All right, so kicking over to the other side here, let's go to Starkville. Okay. Well, Mike Leach and company, again, you know, you're coming off a tough loss, first SEC game here, starting in a hole. You certainly cannot do that in the SEC West uh, if you expect to compete. Uh, but as we've come to find out, there's a very inconsistent Mississippi State team. And that is something that Mike Leach hit on. Uh, the consistencies may not be there. The confidence may not be there. But it's there in spurts. So it's very confusing. And I think Mike Leach hits the nail on the head. It's because he's still got one of the youngest teams in the SEC, potentially the country. Uh, just a team loaded with sophomores and freshmen like Will Rogers, Marks, Dylan Johnson, Tulu Griffin, Jaden Wally, I mean, basically all your primetime players outside of a couple transfers that you got from Cal and Washington State are, and Austin Williams, I guess you could throw him into the mix. But the vast majority of this Mississippi State offense in particular is primed for several more seasons to go in Mississippi State. So maybe it's all, it's natural that you're seeing these inconsistencies. But they're just going to continue to get more and more reps and – I mean, who knows? I sound like a broken record here, but it's the same deal. You got to get that fourth quarter Mississippi State offense to show up for the re- for the entire game. And if you do that, hell, you've got yourself one hell of a team there in, uh, in Starkville. And considering the fact, you know, I know I was pumping up Texas A&M a little bit there, but they come into this game hurting. Maybe their confidence is not where it needs to be. Uh, hell, we got players here saying their confidence, their preparation is not where it needs to be. That is a concern for sure, particularly with uh, you know so much hype. There are maybe they're already looking ahead to Alabama. Who knows? Uh, I don't necessarily think that'll be the case, considering they just lost to Arkansas. But how long did that linger? We gotta find that out as well. And we've seen that uh, Mississippi State can compete with uh, damn near everybody in the SEC West. So there is a lot on the line here in College Station, and it's no stranger. Mike Leach has been down there before. He's not going to be intimidated by those 100,000 Aggies down there screaming in his face. Now we'll have to find out how his young team can adjust to facing off against uh, such a hostile environment, and that is uh, something Coach Leach hits on here, his young team, and uh, just how much he loves going down there to Kyle Field. Uh, Following up on that with finishing drives, you mentioned on Saturday lack of focus, lack of confidence, kind of playing a role in that. Why why do you feel those elements have been lacking from the team to this point of the year? Uh, Because we're young. You know, we we have uh, the least amount of starts uh, of any team in the SEC, and so I think we're working through some youth, you know. It's probably you played a, a lot of games. Are there any particular memories you have of, of playing there, anything that makes it kind of unique? It's a great place to play. It's a great place to play. It's loaded, it's loud, and and it's pretty hostile. And so, no, it's a blast. I mean, College Station is one of the best stadiums to play in in the country. All right, last stop here before we get to our interview with uh, Chris Marler. Just wanted to make this note 
Uh, let's kick it on down to Columbia, South Carolina. Shane Beamer met with the media here recently, and you know this is they're in a tough spot as well because uh, clearly the the defense is doing their part, but the offense not carrying their weight in the first year of the Shane Beamer era. Hearing a lot of the same things we've been hearing from Eli Drinkowitz this week, and how you know you gotta stick to the plan. There's a process in place. We've got to continue down that road. We've got to not lose confidence, trust in what we're doing. And, you know, that's a message I'm sure he is preaching to the entire South Carolina program there. And, you know, they're saying it's all good and well down there. And, but you just lost two games, two SEC games, to kind of put things in perspective. And even in a game against a Kentucky team that kept giving you the ball and you couldn't capitalize on it, so that's a tough one because that's one that uh, you feel like Kentucky came in there and stole from you. Now you've got to turn around and get up and get ready for Troy and not be looking past him because, hell, this is, uh, this is the same program that went into Baton Rouge and beat LSU a couple years ago. They're loaded with a lot of these prospects from the South that are pissed off that they're not playing in the SEC and, and maybe didn't get those offers they wanted. Maybe they want to show the Gamecocks that they made a mistake. I'm sure there's many of players on Troy's roster that got calls from South Carolina's staff. That's not to say, uh, you know, they got offers, but, you know, they're going to be out to prove that uh, South Carolina made a mistake. So this is potential of a trap game. I did see something. I think it was like, ESPN S&P Plus is actually picking Troy to win this game. For what that's worth, that means nothing to me. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Is, uh, you know, this is not a team that uh, South Carolina can take lightly. They've got to play a lot better on offense, particularly in the running game. If they're going to beat Troy, they got to get Luke Doty going. I think that's more important than anything because once we jump back into SEC play, we've already seen with uh, these receivers, you know, They've got. They just got to get them all on the same page. Otherwise, they stand no chance because they ain't getting three turnovers in every single SEC game. That will be key this weekend. But let's kick it over to Shane Beamer, who you know stresses sticking to the plan and on the the fact that the energy within that building remains as high as ever as it should be. You know, Shane, as a as a first time head coach, you know when when there's you know something going wrong and maybe it's consistently not what you expected. How easy or tough is it to not you know try to be patient and work through instead of knee jerking and saying okay we're we're doing this and, and doing that and trying not to trying to let the other coaches do their job. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, certainly, you know you gotta you gotta stick to the plan and um, and you know just stay focused on the process. And, and my dad used to say this all the time to me as his son or his football team, that things are never as, never as good as they seem. They're never as bad as they seem. They're somewhere, you know, in between. And, and uh, there was certainly a lot of bad in, in a lot of ways the other night, but there was a lot of good uh, as well. And, and I think our players realize how close we are, and it's frustrating that we weren't able to get over the hump the other night. But it's not. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to all of a sudden make rash, rash decisions off of you know, four games, do we need to play better in certain areas? Absolutely. I'm not denying that. But uh, we're four games into year one, and, and we, had a, we have a good plan for how we're going to get this thing going. And, and you certainly, week in, week out, you do what gives you the best chance to, to be successful. But we're still in September and have played two SEC games and, and four total games. We're not going in here and just blowing up everything after four games. We've got good coaches. We've got good players, and we've got to perform better. 
Juju was in here saying how the atmosphere in the locker room is still very positive and the camaraderie and bond continues to build. From what you're seeing right now, what players are stepping up as the leaders to make sure that the attitude does stay that way? I don't know why it wouldn't. I mean, I, don't, I know I've used the term doom and gloom before when Luke got hurt. And, I mean, dang, people, we're two and two. We're not happy with how we've played, but we got, we're, we're in September. So I'm not sure what the outside narrative is outside this building. Don't really care. Uh, but I know in this building, we are, we as a team see how close we are. Uh, we as a team understand that we have a lot that we have to clean up, players and coaches. Uh, details on the field, details like off the field, because it all, you know, it all transpires. But I don't think there's necessarily one or two guys that all of a sudden, like, we feel like we're on some sinking ship because we're two and two and have lost to two undefeated teams. Um, and and we're getting with the team and be like, man, you better pick these guys up. No, it's not like that at all. I mean, that was a hurt football team in that locker room Saturday night. Hurt. Because we expected to win that football game. We expected to beat Georgia. And uh, when you don't get it done as competitors, that hurts. And we had a hurt football team that came in here on, on Sunday. But then you're able to watch the video and see the good we did, see the bad we did and uh, how close we are and, and the details and, and just trying to fine-tune some things and continue to get better. And, and that's what we're trying to do this week. So, um, I mean, I you know, meet with a group of you know, 15, 20 guys or some of the older guys on our team. I meet with them every Sunday, and, and we talk through things. But I haven't had to do, like, any extra motivation or, or extra, you know, let's pick ourselves up. Our guys, you know, it's uh, – um, the Kansas City Chiefs right now are, are one and two, and I don't think anybody in Kansas City thinks the season's falling apart. They haven't, they've lost two games. I think they think they're going to win the Super Bowl, and I want our mindset to be that, you know, that we're two and two, and we're going to do everything in our power, keep our head down, work our butts off this week, and do everything that we can to get better today, and then let's show up tomorrow morning at practice on Wednesday and get better and just keep doing that and see what happens on Saturday. So uh, a lot of guys. To answer your question, sorry to go off on that rant. A lot of guys, but it's not like I've had to pull two guys aside and say, hey, we really need you this week to pick the team up. They're good. They're competitors, and they know we got a good football team and, and are excited to go play on Saturday. All right, guys, so I spielt all long enough here. Let's kick it over to our interview with Chris Marler from Saturday Down South. All right, so we're pleased to be joined by my man Chris Marler. Goes by Vern Funquist. Uh, maybe I get the explanation on why in the hell you went with that. He's with a little outlet called Saturday Down South that uh, I'm somewhat familiar with. And he hosts a podcast called the College Football Uncensored Podcast. I think he's a co-host or like third host or something. Maybe he can clarify that as well. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. It's good to see you again. Um, you, I mean, you look, you're all buttoned up. Your hair is combed. This is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I own three really nice shirts, and I, I rotate them uh, every fourth day, obviously. That's smart. I, I'm just in a, like, strictly like a stay-at-home mom Pilates uh, outfit constantly. It's just half zips and, and dry fit everywhere. I had to have you on because you I know you're a big Alabama homer. We got some big games here. But uh, before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, uh, how's your love life going? God, Jesus Christ, Mike. Um, it's good. It's good. My fiance left me two months ago. Um, so that's fun. And so, yeah, it's everything else is going well. Um, DMs are open and 
that's what, that's all say. I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get uh, I'm trying to get you hooked up here. Yeah, I mean that wasn't honestly like since I know you, I wouldn't be offended by that question. Um, because I know you're trying to be funny, even though you're fucking. I'm not trying to being offend funny. you is what I'm doing. That's fair. You're doing a good job. But um, I was on some radio call the other day, like like an interview, and somebody was like, "Hey, man, uh, you guys ever get married?" I was like, no, <laughs> no. She broke it off two months ago. I'm living in my friend's basement. So. Hey, so things are picking up. Uh, I like to see that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, how's the podcast going? Tell people about uh, College Football Uncensored. It's good, man. I appreciate you asking. It's um, it's a new project we started doing this year. Uh, I, I was the co-host of the SCS podcast for about three years um, with another guy. And then I just honestly, you know, like I think with COVID and 2020 in general and, and just me um, not really liking. I, I don't like I don't like when people say heck. I'm not a big fan of like, God dang. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of cuss words. I mean, and I've, I've listened to yours and, and I love the fact that like you're very laid back and um, sometimes mine's a little more aggressive. I think we drop the F word way too much, but you know, we have, we have a lot of fun and it's not as like serious as like the podcast that used to be on. Like we're not breaking down, I don't know, whatever articles written that week and stats that somebody came up with because of shit that's like in July and we have nothing to talk about. So we talk about more fun, important stuff, um, like favorite fathletes, best fat athletes of all time. Obviously, Jerry oh, yeah. Lorenzen, top yes, five. Sir. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a lot of fun. We do like a little winning and boozing where we, we tell you what drink to have at each tailgate. It's uh, it just, you know, all around a good time. And then we obviously talk gambling, so. Yeah, and I appreciate that you never steal any of my graphics and use it for your material. So that's, that's great. Uh, but uh, <laughs> hey, I gotta yeah. ask you, before we get into this uh, epic matchup here, what is it like to be a damn Alabama fan where, my God, if you win a game by two points, it's uh, doom and gloom here. And I mean, do you even get excited watching? I mean, what's the point of watching Alabama football if uh, you know, you're gonna kick everybody's ass and, you, and it's a national championship or bust and we barely win a tough, hard fought game against a top 10 opponent and everybody's pissed off. What I'm just wondering, what is that like? Because I'm on the opposite spectrum here. If uh, if Tennessee is within three touchdowns of Alabama, that's a that's a hell of a day right there. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I always I always refer to it as like 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 a Bama boner. I haven't had one of those that's lasted more than four hours in decades. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like I, I think, I mean, I grew up a Bama fan. My whole family's from Anison. I it's the worst fan base in the country it, it like hands down like minus maybe ohio state the yankees are pretty fucking terrible um am i allowed to say that on here you can say whatever the hell you want man the yankees are absolutely awful um <laughs> but like bama fans are the most entitled obnoxious miserable like very sensitive as well as much as they don't want to admit it um and, and but the entitled parts it blows my mind because it, it is i've often said i said it's almost more fun being a Bama fan when like the Shula years, like before Saban got there, um, maybe the DuBose part of the DuBose years or Stallings years would be a better reference, but like. Those are the golden years in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Not for me in my childhood, but you know, we're not going <laughs> to talk about that seven year streak, but I mean, like it was more fun then because every game mattered. And now it's like, you know, listen, been a diehard fan my whole life. I think my dad used to tape the games like on VHS. That's how old I am. <laughs> I watched like the first quarter of the, game last week and I watched I watched Tennessee Florida it's just it's not and I'm not trying to sound like an asshole it's just it's not as fun and the fans are awful like the fans don't stand up at the games like they they, they rarely like stay for all four quarters like they don't sell it out a lot I mean 
it's a little bit different now, but is that going to be different this week? Do you think with old Lane Kiffin coming to town and his high flying offense? And let me ask you this, because this here's a hot take. I love my terrible hot takes here, but my latest hot take is that Nick Saban has lost a step when it comes to coaching defensive football. And that may seem asinine, but you know, go back to last season, Dan Mullen tore him up. Hell, Dan Mullen this year, I think tore him up. Uh, Ole Miss last season had their way with them. LSU in 2019, Clemson the year before. Now you need elite players to do it. You need a great quarterback to do it. But you know, nine times out of 10, Alabama's facing off against an opponent that uh, they're just so vastly superior that you can't take advantage of Alabama's defense. But I'm seeing when they go toe to toe with someone that can actually compete with them. And hell, even uh, this may not be the greatest example, but Georgia with Stetson Bennett had the lead on Alabama. Uh, they, listen, you know what I mean? To be a thousand percent honest, like if, like I I try my best to be a rational Bama fan in the moment. Don't follow me on Twitter during the games. I am an irrational fucking mess. But at the same time, like I'll I'll say right now that UGA game, the moment Saban got COVID that week, I put a hundred dollars on Georgia right away. Um, also heard there were rumors that Mac Jones is going to be out too, so I put like another hundred down and then just panicked live bet the whole time. Um, but like, so that game. Georgia wins that game with, with JT Daniels, in my opinion. Um, Stetson Bennett, who was coming in like, you know, off a couple of games, I guess, like, I guess two starts, right? And so every year we think that like, is an assistant going to beat Saban? And we, we've just sat here and kind of defaulted that's going to be Kirby because the national championship game, you know, he, he's led him for like, what, 118 of 120 minutes or some shit? Like, it's ridiculous. And he's just amassed a whole bunch of five stars. He's built the program up kind of like Saban. But when Stetson Bennett was the quarterback there, he missed several wide open throws, like several. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Bama's scores, I mean, they, they, it's a 17 point win. They score a, a, a bunch late. They get an interception at the goal line. There were a minimum three throws, I think, that Stetson Bennett missed, uh, hitting the back out of the backfields, finding somebody over the middle when he threw the, uh, the interception, being a little bit late on one as well. Like they could have, Georgia could have easily won that game by 17 points, easily, if he would have made one or two more throws. Like, or if he had a step stool. Also true, yeah. And he might be left-handed too. I don't know. He's he's pretty good this year, I guess. But like 2021 sets him better. Maybe he wins that game. But you know, when you look at that that team, there's there's several games last year. I thought they were going to lose the Ole Miss game, and and you're sitting there watching it because Bama fans again, and, and Bama in general, you know, they're this vaunted team that has just dominated football for you know the last decade, decade and a half, I guess. But. I mean, they are vulnerable they, and they have been over the past couple of years. They're, they're a stop away. Like last year, they're, they're one stop like from an Ole Miss defense from getting beaten that game. One stop, one turnover, same with Florida. And they, and they should have lost that game to Florida too. So I haven't said all that. I mean, we've not, it's not like Ole Miss has played anyone of, of quality competition while Alabama's played Florida and obviously won the game there on the road. I, you know, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Do you think Ole Miss stands a chance to going into uh, Tuscaloosa, mighty Alabama? It seems like Alabama, when they do lose a game, it seems like it is at home. So I don't know that uh, Alabama can't be beaten in there, but what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I mean, just brutally honest, I'm fucking terrified of this game. I, I think, like, first off, the line coming out at 20 seems way too high. And I know Vegas always knows, but, like, it gets bought down to 14 and a half immediately. That still seems too high, right? especially after watching the game last year, again, Bama wins 63-48. Like, Najee did fumble on the, on the goal line. 
there was things they could have done to maybe put that game away, maybe, but they were in an absolute, like, I get, well, I don't say barn burner, but just like a back and forth. And, and I think when you look at Lane Kiffin and what he's able to do, Matt Corral is, he was great last year, besides maybe two games. He's even better this year. And it's his, I guess what, it's his second year under Kiffin, but it's his third year as the starter. Um, or at least I guess what you want to say three and a half. Cause he was mm-hmm. right. So what scares me about this game is not the fact that, you know, they, they lose Elijah Moore. They lose Kenny Yeboah. They lose a lot of guys like off that team last year that were big threats. The year before, John Rice Plumley runs all over them, right? They, they had over 200 yards rushing in that game, put up 29 points. What scares me most is Matt Corral has been really, really good in general. And, and the way they have scored, you look at that Tulane game, Tulane's not the best team in the country, but we saw them play very close to Oklahoma. We, we thought that game was going to be closer than it was. And you look out in the first half, they have eight drives. Six of them are touchdowns, right? I think one was a, a, a turnover, or I guess it was a turnover on downs, but it was the end of the half. And one, I think, was a turnover. You come back out, you're up 40 to like 19, I think, at the half. You put up 40 points in the first half. And this is a game where we all kind of thought, you know what, I bet Kibben takes his foot off the gas. He gets like his, his starters out. They don't want to show too much before the Bama game. And he just kept fucking putting his foot on the gas. They come back out in the second half. They have three, the first three drives are all touchdowns. None of them are over a minute and 31 seconds. Um, it, it was just incredibly impressive what they were able to do. And now you go into this game and we've sat here and talked about Kirby Smart forever, right? Nobody knows Saban better. He's, he was there for nine years, blah, blah, blah. Um, Kiffin is a big enough, just, and hear me out, it's going to sound bad, but it's, it's true and it's fair. Kiffin is a big enough asshole that like, I think that gives him a better chance of winning over Saban than any other assistant. <laughs> like, like for real, because like, when you think about this, you think about how much of a troll he is on, on social media and he's like, does it to like a genius level. It's not like Danny Cannell is like, I hate the SEC and I love DK, but like, I hate the SEC. I'm just going to tweet about that. Kiffin is like brilliant with, with Twitter trolls, right? It's like you. I didn't know that you were even like friends with me for like two years. I thought you hated me. So oh, I Kiffin, okay, fair enough. Not as much as I hate myself. So, um, but Kiffin coming out and like having all, you have a, a bye week, you know damn well that he was, he was preparing for this in the summer. And I think with Matt Corral, you know, with Jerry Neely, um, why am I drawing a blank on the receiver right now? Uh, Drummond? Yes. So, I think they have enough talent there and it doesn't really even almost matter as much because I think the scheme is good enough to like create the mismatch. It doesn't mean like I mean, Bama's got five stars, everyone defense, whatever they were vulnerable against Florida. You know, they've been vulnerable like at times of the season, you saw the Mercer game. I just think that Kiffin, the first, the first drive, the script that he's going to come out with is going to be incredible. And I feel like he's going to do that for, you know, 45 minutes, maybe 60 and, and, Bama fans should be worried, man. They should be worried. So you're not buying the narrative that, uh, you know, Ole Miss, they were red hot. Kiffin's been saying, you know, we kind of wanted to keep playing. We had to obviously had the bye week. They don't have control over that. So not really buying that, uh, taking that extra time, maybe cools off his offense. I mean, I hope it does, but no, I think it gives them an extra week to prepare. It gets, it gives you one less game on tape for, for Saban and, and Pete Golding and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just, I just think that, and I, I don't, I don't think Golding's that bad. I really don't. Um, and you look at some of the positives, like Bama's defense last year was a lot better than people gave him credit for. I, I mean, after the Ole Miss game, you give up 647 yards, you give up almost 50 points. The next, how, I guess, what, 10 games, you give up 
400 yards twice, right? You don't give up anywhere close to that amount of the points again, besides, I guess, the Florida game, technically. But I mean, I just think that, again, the scheme is more impactful than the players. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're going to be like, you've already seen that they've been able to replace Elijah Moore. But I, you know, I don't know how that plays out for a full year in production standpoint, but Matt Corral coming in, they're on 72% of completion percentage, you know, 14 touchdowns, zero picks. It, unless he comes in and has several turnovers, I, I don't, I mean, I don't see how they're not in it the entire game. And it'll be really interesting to see also who, like you know, in NFL games, the last two to three minutes of the first half, is a huge, huge deal. I think mm-hmm. that is going to be massive in this game because like regardless of the momentum, if you're up, you know, 14, they cut it to seven. Or if you're up seven and they are able to tie it up and Ole Miss gets the ball back, Bama, the last time they had to play from behind, like like for a, in a long, I don't know, like, like an elongated time against like talent was LSU. And LSU got a 10-0 lead and never looked back. And I think this is similar to that offense, not as prolific, but still similar. Do you think Bryce Young is uh, capable of, you know, winning a shootout right now with Matt Corral in this Ole Miss offense? No, I don't. And, and, and to be honest, like, I hate to be just the Debbie Downer Bama fan. That's like, you know me well enough to know that most of my Bama opinions are skewed out of fear and, (laughs) and still being like the PTSD from the 2019 LSU game and 2018 Clemson, because those are teams that, the 2018, especially you thought were like the best teams, you know, maybe in the country, maybe a top five team all time. You heard it all year from like Batua and they get smoked. I don't think that Bryce Young in a situation where he grew up a little bit in Florida, he hasn't turned the ball over, but Bama's running game has been shit for most of the year. I mean, Mm -hmm. they put up some decent numbers last week in Southern Miss, but that offensive line has been bad. Almost isn't great on defense, but they've been a lot better. I think the, Biggest thing that can happen, like the best thing that happened for Bryce Young, they get a, they score first. They're not playing from behind. They get a turnover and you get up by two scores because I don't think even though they're at home, I think that they're going to be paying like playing just like this the whole time because they know if it gets even or behind, Kiffin's going to, Kiffin's going to put his foot like on the gas, possibly their throats. And I don't, I don't see how they look back. Like, like it would take, you remember the 2015 game? where they Bama loses, they have that freak play with Chad Kelly and mm-hmm. third nine. Bama had five turnovers in that game and three of them inside their 25-yard line. They still only lost by six, even though the game wasn't that close. This is not that team. They don't have that kind of offensive line. They don't have that kind of like running back like they have with Derrick Henry. And they've got talent at receiver, but Mechie's not going to go out there and, and, and win you a game by himself. He's not. So... All right, other big matchup, though, here, Arkansas-Georgia, both in the top 10. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, I think – I don't know how you feel about it, but I think Georgia is the best team in the country. At least they have been so far. Yet Arkansas may be the hottest team in the country. So, uh, man, this this is – aside from that Ole Miss-Alabama, I mean, this is like 1A, 1B here. What do you, uh, How do you see this matchup playing out? I just don't see how people are going to consistently score in Georgia. I mean, I just – I think – I remember saying last year for the season, I, I mean, I was way off, but I was like, it, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It, like, it could be Setson Bennett, it could be Juwan Mathis, it could be whoever, because that defense is going to be the best defense they like in college football since like the 2011 Bama team that was like gave up like 7.8 points per game and like 171 yards. I was a year early on that, 
I mean, I was wrong, but I was going to say I was a year early. Um, this defense is so dominant, and they're so dominant at points that are so like miserable for an, like a like a opposing coordinators and another team to, like, to prepare for. Because, I mean, look at look at game one. Justin Ross is Clemson's best offensive player, right? You throw a freshman on him, Keely Ringo, shuts him down. Yeah, like Jordan Davis, everyone knows him. He's he's a monster. You got three guys that you could rotate. That I'm not saying are as good as Jordan Davis, but they're not far behind. Right. And then you have a you have a defense full of five stars and, and players like the Kobe Dean coming into his own. Um, Nolan Smith finally kind of breaking through. I just don't see how Arkansas is able to get creative enough, especially if they're if, if Katie Jefferson's not 100 percent, which I don't know if he is. or not. You, you know more about that than me. Um, but I just don't see how they are going to be able to put up points. I don't know how anybody is against that team. And I know George hasn't played anybody necessarily, but you look at the strength of schedule they're somehow ranked ahead of Arkansas and strength of schedule. It's 28 and in Arkansas is 37. Pittman's been what? I think he's 10 and three or 11 and three against the spread since he's been yeah, there. And undefeated been awesome. this year too. Yeah. And, and he's been an underdog in every game, right? Besides, I guess like rice and that other non-conference one they played Georgia, Georgia Southern. Southern, but every time they play a ranked team, they're an underdog and, and they've done nothing but go out there and like, you know, they've won all four games by double digits. They've been really impressive. They're on the road. I don't, I just don't see this Georgia team like letting up. And the scary thing about Georgia is they're not even healthy yet. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I think they're the best team in the country. I know they haven't played that many people. I think Bama fans are trying to lie to themselves and say they're not that good, but I don't it, like if Georgia stays healthy or even gets healthy, they're, I mean, they're a nightmare. Like they are a nightmare for teams to play. It just, and I think it's weird because the Clemson game each week looks less and less impressive. Yeah. But each week, Georgia looks more and more impressive. So we'll see. What about, uh, you know, two of your favorite teams here, Auburn and LSU? I mean, you'd probably be fine if there was another fire on this one. Uh, you know, is Coach O, you know, it seems like every week he's coaching for his job while Brian Harson is uh, firing assistant coaches four weeks into his tenure here. What, what are your thoughts on this this one, which is, uh, you know, this is a bizarre-ass series, and it, this looks like yeah. the T.J. Finley coming back. It's, you know, it's it's got shades of being even more bizarre. Yeah, I mean, um, and also I feel like I'm talking too much because you know way more about college football and SEC football than me. Um, so, I mean, I don't know why you're, you're asking the guest, me so many my questions. Man. That's fair, whatever. Um, all right, well, then don't say another fucking word and just let me speak. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm actually going to this game. I'm excited. Um, nice because of the breakup so thank you uh i'm, I'm gonna go down there we, we got uh paying off already thank god right so <laughs> I, I'm, um, I'm excited for this like we actually went in 2019 it was a lot of fun auburn hasn't won there since 99 mm-hmm. the, the, i have no idea what harson was doing firing the first year coach at, at receiver because that is not their only problem i and i just I, I was i've been really impressed with harson up until that point i, I feel like the the alabama media has been awful to him joseph goodman's been the worst um no offense if you're listening <laughs> joseph but like they've just been kind of unfair and and like nitpicky about all these things and I, like anything he did right and so mm-hmm. he's giving out free he, hats they were mad about that <laughs> just don't take the fucking hat I, I don't even like also if you're no offense guys like i'm technically a media member but if we're working for al.com which is just a fine bomb like comment section that comes to life with like with i guess like actual degrees like writing the columns let's just calm down. Let's calm. Like, there's no reason to get that upset about hats. Just don't, don't wear the hat. Um, 
But I was impressed with Harson with everything else that he's done up until that point. He seems like he just kind of puts his head down, handles his business, and that's it. Bo Nix is obviously still a problem. But then you see last week where they probably should have lost to Georgia State. If you're a Bama fan, you're new, like, good and GD well, they weren't going to lose that game because of it's <laughs> Auburn. But, I mean, I don't know who they start. Like, Bo Nix didn't play terrible last time, but they also had a really good running game, and they had a, a, one of the best defenses in the country. So I don't know what your plan of attack is in this game, besides maybe run Tank Bigsby. LSU's defense hasn't been great. But the thing you brought up about how Coach O coaching for his job, like it blows my mind. And I understand local media in Baton Rouge maybe getting on them and stuff like that. But outside of that, like J-Boy is the only person that I've seen bring it up. And I thought it was ridiculous because it's like, dude, we're 13 games removed, 13 games from a national championship, a 15-0 season, one of the best teams in cultural history. It's the best offense in cultural history. How the hell is this guy coaching for his job? Like, look at his, his record against ranked teams at LSU. It, it's like, it was something like, I want to say 13 and six or 13 and four or something like that. Um, and I, I think I'm off on the number, but it's, it was something around that against top, top 25 teams. And it might've even been top 10 teams. I think it might've been top 10 teams. And if you take away Alabama, he's 12 and one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's stupid, right? The only loss was Florida a couple of years ago in the swamp on that pick six in the game. I just, it blows my mind that they could be this upset with them. If it's the off the field stuff, fine. I think I that's just, what I, it is from talking to people, uh, you know, that they're kind of fed up with uh, all the ladies and all the photos and all this going on. And hey, I don't know why they knocked the man, but I guess you can get away with that when you're winning. You can't get away with that when you're getting you know getting embarrassed on the field yeah and uh, interesting little nugget here i talked to uh brent zernerman last week of the houston chronicle on my show and i asked him yeah about, he ruined media days for us yeah exactly i asked him about that i also asked him about uh he was the one that broke jimbo's contract extension news right. and he said that a lot of that had to do with the fact they were letting lsu know hey this guy is not going to be available for you so the fact and that was prior to the ucla game so there's definitely mm-hmm. some talk behind the scenes. I, I certainly think uh, that has more to do with Coach O hot seat talk than even anything that, that has to do with all the field. Because I'm right there with you. The, you look at uh, his freshmen and sophomores that he's got. I mean, they're oh, not going to win the championship this year, obviously, based on what we've seen. But here in a year or two, this could be a damn lethal team in the SEC. I mean, so if you look at like, look, think about how improved the defensive line is from this year. Like the, like, I, I don't know what it was after Mississippi State because I'm going through a breakup and I didn't look up the stats this week, Mike. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, leading the SEC in sacks, leading the SEC in tackles for loss. And, and I understand it's early in the season. We'll see how that plays out. But like, I remember bringing this up in the, in the off season that like, we always talk about how game, <clears throat> games are one of the trenches in the SEC, right? Just mm-hmm. ad nauseum. LSU, this is before, um, who's the right tackle uh, that went Nicholas? to Kentucky? Oh, no, 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 uh, Kennard, um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Not Kennard, okay. but the the other one. It's like, his name is like Dare or something like that. I, and Dare I can't Rosenthal, remember the name. sorry. Dare Rosenthal. So before he left, they were, they returned all nine offensive linemen and defensive linemen from the year before, right? Mm-hmm. And all nine were seniors. So on paper, there's not a better way, I think, to go into a season from an experience standpoint, depth standpoint, all that kind of stuff. They've been really good on the defensive line. The offensive line's not been great. Their running game has been awful. Just and, and I understand Emory's out, but it's still surprisingly bad. Um, 
I don't think Max Johnson's a world beater, you know, and I think LSU is still kind of like, they're going to continue to try to figure out how to replicate what happened in 2019. And it's not going to happen because you had maybe the best season in cultural history from a quarterback and, and obviously an OC or, you know, not an OC, but basically the OC mm-hmm. and the mastermind behind that. I, I just, I, what, what worries me about LSU more than anything is not the run game, not the defense, not Stingley being, he's not great. Stingley is not the same cornerback we saw as his freshman year. Just not mm-hmm. mentally, not like physically on, on the field. Um, I mean, he got embarrassed against UCLA several times and it just, he has not been the same uh, cornerback, but when, uh, when Coach O walked into the Rose Bowl and you had this week where you have like they're displaced from their home. And I remember sitting there thinking, I was like, man, there's not a better coach in the country than Coach O to rally the troops. And we've seen him like, you know, in tough environments, we've seen him in bowl games, we've seen him in all those kind of, all those kind of like situations. And he's been fantastic. And I thought they were going to go out there against a Chip Kelly team that is nowhere near like as physical. And they watched him struggle at times against fucking Hawaii. They had won a non-conference game before the week, like before week one since 2017 so mm-hmm. then they go out there and coach o talking shit to the fan in his <laughs> sissy blue shirt and this might sound stupid but that's what concerns me more than anything is that like i don't know if he gets it that he's not gonna be able to replicate 2019 and and i know he's trying and he's i still think he's a great coach but like i, I just it blows my mind where because you look at 2019 that whole like bama game roll tide what fuck you like and everyone just went nuts. And they were like America's team. Everyone loved LSU because there was so much fun. He had all this bravado and he's like a caricature of a person. That's a big chink in the armor, you know, going to the UCLA and then losing to that team, especially the way they did. All right, last game I wanted to uh, talk to you about, Chris, then I get you out of here. Florida at Kentucky. You know, this one is really hard for me to read because Florida, you know, hell, I know they lost to Alabama, but they seem to have gained a lot of confidence. They seem to be peaking. Mm-hmm. I was never, you know, I didn't think he was terrible, but I thought Emory Jones was kind of average. He seems to be playing the best football he's ever played. Whereas Kentucky, we're number, we're negative nine in the turnover battle. That's worst in the country. Yet we're four and zero. That's that's almost impossible to pull off. I mean, and to me, you know, you got to clean that up, obviously. But that tells you that you got a hell of a team if you're winning with that many turnovers. I know it's close, and maybe some of those games. <laughs> You could have damn near lost, but if you're able to flip that and get a positive turnover margin, I think Kentucky could be, you know, a true contender here in the East. Uh, and now it sounds like we got Anthony Richardson coming back for Florida, so that even complicates it even more. Uh, how do you read this one, and, w- and which team do you think is uh, the more uh, legit contender in the SEC East? So I was I was real big on Kentucky after Week One. I was just. Fired up. I, I loved what I saw from Will Levis because we haven't seen that for that was like the first what like first 400 yard passing game since like week one of 2016. Um, also, you have to excuse me because where I live now, uh, I live with um, my best friend and his family. So there's a four year old running around upstairs. If you guys hear a bunch of foot uh, footsteps, so um, get her on the show. I mean, she's she's a man. Kids are fucking savage, man. I mean, just absolutely like. You can't sleep in past a certain, I'm not going to get into it, but they are savage. Just call me out for a lot of stuff. Um, so, but like, I was really impressed with week one. I know they're playing Louisiana Monroe, who was not a good football team, but I was sold. Like Will Levis, like the, the, he looked really good. And, and, and the fact that they had, um, 
How am I drawing a blank on this again? It's not not Wondell Robinson because he's a star. Josh Ali. Josh Ali. You, you had two guys over 100 yards. You had another receiver, like I think he had 83 or 86 yards on three catches. So you're getting production from several different like players, which we have not seen at Kentucky since what 2007. Andre Woodson, like, mm-hmm. and even then it was always a white guy. Like it was like just some white guy number 12. I don't remember the guy's name, but it was like. I mean, it basically, it's like <laughs> watching like a Big Ten game. So, um, what was that guy's that was his name? It wasn't Derek Abney, but it was him and a clone, like right after that. Anyway, <laughs> um, they are a lot deeper at receiver, I think, than than I would have considered. Everyone was all over Chris Chris Rodriguez coming into the season. You know, his numbers, SEC stat cat. I know you, he's a big fan of you. I don't think he likes me, um, but like he would bring up all these numbers, like between the tackles that, you know, what, what he was able to do after the, after contact, what he was able to do in, in conference games. And he was great. The numbers are fantastic. You wonder why he didn't get more carries. I don't think I've ever seen someone like get more panicked or, or just looser with the ball when they get to the goal line than Chris Rodriguez. It doesn't matter if it's the other team's goal line or his own goal line. We saw that last week. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, this team has consistently, like they, you talk about the turnovers being minus nine. Think about how many fumbles they were recovered. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's like you 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 play against UT Chattanooga and you get a pick six with six minutes to go to really put the game away. I don't know if they're as good. I, I know a lot of Kentucky fans have said like they've been saving it for Florida. They've played Florida really well several times the past couple of years. They should have beaten them, what, probably three of the past four years. Um, questionable calls. And that was the, the Kyle Trask breakout game as well. I mean, they should have won that one. Team game where they forgot to put an eleventh person on defense twice, which is <laughs> yeah. just hard to do. Um, but no, I mean, like I, I think they're a talented team. I love the fact that their offensive line is is just consistently good now, year in year out. And, and what Stoops has done is they've started four and zero for the past six seasons. Like that hasn't happened in Kentucky. And it, 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 I, I love Stoops. He's a great coach. Um, love the OC. I love like uh. uh you know, just in Kentucky, not be what Kentucky was. They were fucking awful. I mean, it was awful. Like, it was like watching like a, a triple option team, but if they were in shotgun, it made no sense. Like, they just were, were brutal. And, and you talk about game one, like, one of the reasons I was so sold on them was the previous 46 games for Kentucky football, they had, he threw four touchdowns that game. The previous 46, um, I believe the number was they had under, they had one or zero touchdowns in 39 of those games. Think about that. I mean, it's just, it was terrible, right? Like, like, and I'm also wrong about that stat. It was like 28 of, of 40, uh, something. It was like almost 50%. So that sounds like a Jeremy Pruitt coach team. Miss Jeremy Pruitt. Don't do this to me right now. We need him (laughs) so bad this weekend, but like, I think, I think they're great. You, everyone's going to be pulling for them. I get it. It's the underdog and they've, they've been great like past several years and they get them at Kroger field. Um, I just think that Florida is a lot better than I thought they were going to be. Uh, I, you know, the stuff, the credit we give to Kiffin or I gave him earlier about how they've been able to replace guys like Elijah Moore, you lost generational talent for, uh, you know, that 2020 team and the offensive line is, is incredibly improved. They've looked great. They bullied Bama for a lot of the day, like, especially, you know, the second through fourth quarter. That defensive line, Grantham has obviously figured something out. Like they're getting after the quarterback and, and they had a perfect game plan for, for Bryce Young, which was get after his ass all day and make him uncomfortable. Um, loved it. And I mean, like, I think people are solely identifying or like labeling the scene and their, their potential based off what they saw in the Bama game. 
which mm -hmm. is whatever. But Dan Mullen, year in, year out, doesn't get enough credit for how good of a offensive mind he is in college football. We love to talk about Sark. We love to talk about Kiffin, you know, other guys, you know, Lincoln Riley. Mullen has been incredible. And, and I kept saying this before the season started, even with you as a Trask, you're going to get the entire playbook opened with like a running quarterback like Emory Jones or a quarterback that can run. He looked like shit the first two weeks. He's looked great the past two weeks, man. You know, the first quarterback since Tebow to have 200 yards passing, 100 yards rushing. And now you get Anthony Richardson back. I, I just think that George Aaron, sorry, if Ford at some point is going to like have the receivers kind of come into their own because they've got a lot of talent there. Jacob Copeland's a guy we haven't seen like really blossom yet. I, I don't know if they're going to do it at tight end. Keon Zipper is a guy that I thought was going to have a breakout season. He really hasn't, but that run game has been great. And I just think that Mullen's going to be good enough to figure out a way to implement like Anthony Richardson, no matter how many plays a game it is into a way that they're going to score. I mean, like very small sample size, the kid is an absolute freak and a mismatch. And, and I don't, I don't see how Kentucky stays within 14 points. Damn. Laying down the, the hammer there on the Wildcats, but, uh, all right, Chris Way, I appreciate all your time. He's at Vern Funquist. Real quick, Vern Funquist. How in the hell did you come up with that one? I'm curious on that. Oh, I love puns. He's a big <laughs> pun guy. Um, so, yeah, you know, I said okay. yesterday, I was like, I, you know, like I'm trying to be taken more seriously in like journalism. I'm not. Just call me that's that's hurting you right there. Trust me. <laughs> it's not good, right? Um, all my typos, dude. You're not even like working at SDS anymore. You have no fucking idea how many times this happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just it was that, or it was at Media Days in like 2019, I think, or something. And, and I was between that and and Claw Feinbaum because White Claw just kind of yeah, burned. okay. I like and that. I made the right choice. I made the right you, choice. That you did. <laughs> you got to check out his show, The College Football Uncensored, from Saturday down south. All the uh, tweets and memes and all that going on, that's all Marler. So I, I do appreciate you. I appreciate course, uh, uh, your time and the fact that, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully these some of these ladies that listen to the show start DMing you. That, that's the whole purpose of this. You know, I, honestly, I just, uh, it would have been great if we didn't bring it up at all. But here we are. So mm -hmm. we'll just we'll just move forward. All right. So I appreciate Chris coming on the show and being a good sport. I've been trying to get him on the show for a couple of days and, uh, that's kind of why I was trolling him during that interview a little bit. But I hope you guys appreciated that little back and forth. He's a, certainly an entertaining guy, so I knew that would be a good uh, little conversation leading into uh, our Friday pick show. So I cannot wait for that. Cousin Shane, of course, will be on the next episode. We also got another guest lined up for that picks podcast that I think you guys are really going to appreciate. So hey, stick, stay tuned for the Friday show. And again, of course, if you haven't already, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app and reach out to us either on social media or email us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com to share that review. And we return the favor by sending you a beer koozie free of charge. We've got all 14 teams represented with koozie. So that's just our way of saying thanks to each and every one of you that takes that extra step to support the pod. But that's going to do it. Catch you on the next one.